Well, the census is officially still the holiday season. And I want to use the Christmas story to launch into a sermon that will make you consider what you hold dear. New Year's Eve and New Year's Day are, are typically time, times for resolutions and, and reflections, time to take stock of our lives and, and to reflect on what God has done and on perhaps what we can be doing better moving forward. And one of the things to consider as you move forward into the new year and uh, to think about your priorities, uh, that's kind of what we want to do. We want to think about the things that we attach the, the highest value to. What are those things that you cannot do without? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a philosophy, or maybe it's people. Maybe there are some items, some possessions that you can't do without. I want us to consider our, our priorities today. And let's put it into the context of the wise men from the Christmas story. I want us to consider our treasures. And so let's go back to that story for just a minute. Now I want to highlight just one particular part of the story of those magi that, that came from the east. To worship Jesus. And I think this fits, fits well with a post-Christmas message because the Magi did not show up until well after Christ was born, probably a couple of months later. Those wise men, those three kings that we sing about, probably weren't three and they probably weren't kings, and they weren't around the manger, around that nativity scene until sometime later they went to a house that talks about in Matthew chapter 2. But this account of the Magi Coming to Bethlehem is filled with interesting storylines, and we already took a Sunday, we looked at this on our second Advent, to think about all those things. But we noticed, especially during that time, their determination in wanting to worship this child. Verse 10 of Matthew 2 says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And you can just sort of feel their excitement and their exhilaration just by reading those words the exhilaration that they felt at seeing this child. But then it says there in verse 11, after coming to the house, so we know that by that fact that it had to be later, they saw the child with Mary his mother and they worshipped him. And then this line, then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, I read that a few weeks ago and and that one little phrase jumped out at me, opening their treasures. The first thing that came to my mind was that these were not only some gifts that Jesus might like. It says they opened their treasures. These were things that were valuable to them. Now when we give gifts to people, usually, oh, sometimes we give gifts to people that we say are for them, but they're actually for us, right? We want to play with them. Uh, we sometimes do that. But usually, we find something that they like, but it doesn't really mean the same to us. Like if I were to give my wife some earrings. Now, I didn't do that this Christmas, and now I might have to. But uh, if I were to give my wife some earrings, or, or, or my wife was to buy me a hockey puck, you know, it just means something to the person you're giving it to, but not to the giver. But when the Magi gave their gifts, it says that they opened their treasures. They, 
these things that they gave Jesus were valuable to them. It was something that was there, something precious that they were giving to this child, something precious that they were giving to this Jesus. Opening their treasures. When I read that one little line, here's the thought that came to my mind. It was, if I were to open my treasures, what would Jesus see? And so on this New Year's Day, on this day when we think about new beginnings, when we think about new starts, I thought it would be good today to kind of open up our treasures, to consider our treasures. When I read the story of the Magi again this year, that this idea of treasure intrigued me. And what was interesting as I began to study this concept of treasures or treasuring is that the Bible has a lot to say about it. So let's take a look at what the Bible says about treasures and what we ought to treasure as Christians. And so this will be a little bit different than what I, how I usually preach. It's going to be a little bit more of a topical kind of sermon rather than walking through verse by verse through one passage. Although I am going to do that through Matthew 6 a little later on. But what ought we to treasure? The thing that is most often called a treasure in the Bible is the Bible. It's the Word of God. And so if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to flip back and forth a little bit here today. Let me look at a few of those verses with you. And I'm not going to look at all of them. I have some of them, uh, many of them listed on your uh, sermon notes there. I'm just going to look at a couple of those. The first one is out of Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Proverbs 2, 1 to 5. My son... If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And so the writer there is encouraging us to seek God's word of a treasure, as a treasure. And if we do that, that's how we come to understand and, and how we come to discern and how we come to know God. And turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Longest chapter of the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 9. Says, How can a young man keep his way pure? The answer is, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have, and here the ESV says, stored up your word. The NASB says, I have treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Some other versions, the way you might have learned it was, I have hid your word in my heart. It's that same idea of, of storing up, of, of treasuring God's Word. And then over to the New Testament, turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the, the good deposit. And again, some translations say their treasure. Guard the treasure, this good deposit that's been entrusted to you. And it's talking there about the gospel, but it's also talking about these sound words. And in, in, in the second letter to Timothy, 
Paul is encouraging Timothy throughout this letter to, to stay in God's Word. And in chapter 3, he talks about the, the verse that we're all familiar with. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so he's telling Timothy there to, to keep to the sound words, to guard them, to, to see God's Word as a treasure. It is a precious treasure. It is that, that, that good deposit that's been entrusted. So the question for us is, do you regard your Bible as a treasure? Is it more, if I would have read Psalm 19, is it more desirable for you than gold? Is it sweeter than honey to you? When you make decisions or when you try to figure out what God wants you to do next, do you long for the treasure of God's word for answers and to, and to seek wisdom from its pages? I like the story of the uh, five-year-old girl whose mom found her going through a brand new Bible storybook that she had just received at Christmas. She had, a, she had a pen as her mom came into the room there and she was circling the word God whenever it showed up on the page. And her mom wasn't really too happy that she was writing in this brand new Bible that she had just got or this brand new uh, storybook, but she kind of calmly asked her daughter why she was doing that. And the little girl kind of looked at her and matter-of-factly answered, I'm doing that so that I'll know where to, f- where to find God when I want Him. Well, we have a book when w- where we can find God. It's, it's the Bible. This is God's Word to us. If we want to know what God is thinking, if we want to know where to find God, we just need to look in here. And so do you long to hear from God? Is, is God's word like a treasure for you? Now, let me suggest one thing that you can do to, 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 to show God that his word is a treasure. And that's to make it a goal this year to read through your entire, entire Bible and to make it part of every day for you. To, to, to desire to hear from God. And the best time I would suggest is to do that first thing in the morning. Now, just by the office doors, we've supplied a, a, a plan from, this comes from the Discipleship Journal, and we've just supplied it again. This is the third year in a row we've done that. And, and it's got 25 readings a month, and we've even put them into nice little bookmarks that you can just keep in your Bible. You read from four different parts of the Bible every day. And so I encourage you to take one and to do as Psalm 119 says, to hide God's Word in your heart, to treasure it. Store up his word, treasure his word. Fill yourself up with his word so that as you open up your treasures, God's word will come out. Well, secondly, the Bible also says that we ought to treasure Jesus Christ. Now, that brings us right back to the season that we just came out of, Christmas, doesn't it? The greatest gift ever given to humanity is Jesus Christ. For Christians, our greatest treasure is Christ. Christ is the height. Christ is the apex. Christ is the summit of all our treasures. Colossians 2 verse 3 says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Hebrews 11 talks about, how, talks about Moses and, the, and how he considered the reproach of Christ greater than all the treasures of Egypt. Moses was part of 
Pharaoh's household, and he could have had anything he wanted, riches, status, position, you name it. But he chose to give it up because somewhere off in the distance he could see that God was going to send a Savior, a Messiah. And he gave up earthly treasures and chose instead the treasure that is Jesus Christ. Treasures of Egypt. You know, the world had much to offer him. But Christ had infinitely more. Infinitely more. Take a look at me, with me at Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul writing and thinking about what were his treasures and what his treasures were now that he had been transformed by Christ. Philippians 3 verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and that I may share his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. For Paul, everything is lost compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Paul had all the qualifications. As a religious Jew, he had prestige. He had a high position among the religious elite. He had the right bloodlines. But in comparison with Christ, he calls that rubbish. All that stuff was rubbish. It's nothing compared to the value, to the treasure of having Christ. Of all the things that you put value in, of all your treasures, is Jesus at the top of your list? Do you ever really stop to think about what kind of treasure Jesus really is? If you are a Christian, it is Christ who gives you hope, who gives you a sure hope. It is Christ who gives you reason for joy. It is your Savior who has given you life. He is the one that has taken you from darkness to light, taken you from death to life. Jesus is your greatest treasure. Just think of your life without Jesus. Here's how the Bible describes it. You would be spiritually blind. You would have no forgiveness. You would be dead in your sins. You would be separated from God. You'd be on a downward spiral towards hell, towards eternal punishment. You would have no hope for anything past this life. It's because you have received Jesus Christ that you are saved from eternal death. That you are a new creation. That the old has gone, the new has come. That's a great verse for the new year. That you have a sure hope of life forever with this same Jesus. I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And that brings us to another thing that we should have as a treasure, and we'll spend more time on this one, and that is heaven. Heaven is our treasure. The Bible is our treasure. Christ should be our treasure. Heaven should be our treasure. And here I want to spend some time in, in Matthew chapter 6. We've started in, in Matthew 2 this morning. Now let's move ahead to Matthew 6 again. And I'm going to read those verses again. It's a short little uh, passage that was read for us already. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in earth, on earth 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if you were to look up the word treasure and do just kind of a word study through Scripture and look for all the occurrences of that word, you'd find it in Matthew 2.11, and then the next time you'd find it is here in this passage in Matthew 6. In Matthew 2, the Magi open their treasures and present them to Jesus, but here in Matthew 6, this same Jesus now teaches on that subject of treasures. When we hear those verses, we notice right away that Jesus is making a contrast. Verse 19 and 20 say essentially the same thing, except one is a negative command and the other one is a positive command. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. But, there's the contrast, verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Verse 19 gives the results, moth and rust destroy, thieves steal, treasures on earth. Verse 20 says that moth, rust, and thieves can't destroy or steal treasures in heaven. So there are the contrasts. Very easy to see, very straightforward, but hard to apply. Hard to apply. Let's take a closer look at what Jesus is really saying here. The contrast is between heaven and earth. Treasures in heaven will last. Treasures on earth will not last. Let's make a, let me just make a blanket statement right off the top. And here it is. The, the, the statement is that the, the biggest struggle we face, the biggest struggle that we face as Christians in our culture is trying to figure out how to live in this world while at the same try, time trying to live as Christians. That is the biggest struggle that we face. If we could just get our heads around how to do that, well, let me say that again. No, if we just be willing to do that, we would come a little bit closer to what God expects of us, how he expects us to be and how he expects us to live. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. He says, one of the most subtle problems with which the Christian ever has to deal is this problem of the relationship to the world. Uh, temptations to fit into the world are everywhere, aren't they? We're literally surrounded. We're literally, we could even make rhymes out of this, we're surrounded, we're hounded, we're pounded by those temptations from everywhere. Every kind of communication medium that we have, whether that be TV or radio or flyers that we get or, or billboards that we see or, or, or the telemarketers that phone us or the music that's out there, or the internet, or smartphones, or apps, or social media, you name it. Especially in our electronically connected culture, there's no escape. All of those things are enticing us all the time to meld in with the world, to, to become part of it, to treasure what it treasures, to embrace its philosophy. However you want to label that philosophy, postmodernism, materialism, humanism, individualism, relativism, Secularism, you can stick whatever ism you, in there that you want. The world is constantly on our case, wanting us to fit in. Whether that's in, in our spending habits, or in our fashion, or in our possessions, or in our leisure activities, whatever. 
against that, we have our Bibles, the very Word of God, which all of us that are evangelical Christians would agree is our absolute and final authority. In there, it says things like Christians are strangers and aliens in the world. I hope you think of yourself as an alien when it comes to the world. Or that we ought not to set our minds on earthly things because our citizenship is in heaven. So how do we, as Christians, live in this world? This is our greatest struggle. We, we have to live here. We can't just run away, move up to the hills. So to put it in Bible words, how can we be in the world but not of the world? Well, let's just see what Jesus tells us in Matthew 6. Let's take these two commands in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, one at a time. First, Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, let me say that there's nothing wrong with earthly treasures, per se. All of us have them. We all have family, we all have house, we all have money, we all have jobs, we all have toys. Some have all these things a little bit more than others, but we all have some. But Jesus' concern here is not totally with possessions. It's with our attitude towards those possessions. His concern is over the value that we attach to those earthly possessions. The fact of the matter for Jesus is that earthly treasures aren't bad. They just won't last. They just won't last. And we shouldn't act as if we expect them to. That's the point of verse 19. And let me just add that it's not earthly, that earthly possessions might not last, it's that they will disappear. That's a fact. And we kind of know that in the back of our heads, but sometimes we don't act like it. We need to know that, and we need to come to grips with that. And so the warning is not to amass stuff and to, to hoard stuff just for the sake of getting more and more stuff. Have you noticed in the last few years that one of the businesses that's thriving is storage businesses? And hey, why not? I mean, there's good money in that. We are obsessed with gathering up more and more stuff, even if we don't have room for it. And if we don't have room for it, we rent a place to store what we don't want. Someone has said that people not only buy what they don't want, but they pay to store what they don't want in a place where they don't use what they don't want. We're storing up more and more stuff even though we don't have room for it. And people say that the Bible is not relevant. <laughs> ha. Randy Alcorn has written a great little book called The Treasure Principle. And in it, he talks about this attitude of gathering up more and more stuff for ourselves. He says that Jesus' main point here in Matthew 6 is that you can't take it with you. You've all heard the little saying that you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? You can't take it with you. The warning is not to have the kind of attitude that says, I've got to have more just for the sake of having more. You need to avoid anything that centers on this world only. Treasure can take many different forms. And we've listed a number of them. It can be money, it can be more stuff, it can be position, it can be your place on the totem pole. It can even be people's good opinion of you. 
We have to be aware of storing up earthly treasures and to be on our guard against that. All of that stuff, it's temporary. It's earthly. And it'll all be gone one day. It will. But the other side of the command there is to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. People in that day used to bury their treasure in old silos, or they would bury them in the ground. And their treasure in that day was not so much in currency. It was usually in the form of clothing, or sometimes even in in coins. But moths could destroy the clothes, and rust could destroy the coins. Or the stuff buried in the field was susceptible to thieves. And so Jesus is saying that earthly treasure is at risk to all those things. But heavenly treasure is immune to all those risks. Another way of saying that is earth's currency will be worthless when Christ returns or when you die. But heaven's currency will last forever. Earth's currency will be worthless when Christ returns or when you die. But heaven's currency will last forever. So how do we store up earthly or heavenly treasure? Don't store up earthly treasure. How do we store up heavenly treasure? And what exactly is it? Well, just to finish the rest of Randy Alcorn's summary of Matthew 6, 19 and 20, he says, You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. I think that's a good way to put it. I used to think that the key for these verses is when it says, store up for yourselves. We should not store up for ourselves. That's selfish. That's being self-centered. But then I noticed that verse 20 actually says, yes, store up for yourselves. We should be storing up something for ourselves. The difference in these verses is with, did you notice, where we store them. It's the storage location. So we ought to store up for ourselves as much treasure as we can. Hoard it. We just need to store it in heaven instead of on earth. When you put it that way, it does sound kind of selfish, but it really isn't. And it isn't because storing up treasures for ourselves is others-focused. That's the irony here. Storing up treasures for ourselves focuses outward. We store up treasure by serving others. And so in a way, it starts out serving others, ends up serving ourselves, and it ultimately serves ourselves again and the kingdom. Randy Alcorn calls it deferred gratification. It's self-serving only in the sense that we get the complete benefit not in this life, but in heaven. Having said that, though, not all the benefit is in the future. There's also present joy. When we, when we live that way. Jesus tells a little one-verse parable in Matthew 13, verse 44. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a, here it is again, the treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. And so here's a guy who kind of takes a shortcut across someone's field and stumbles upon some treasure buried in this field. The owner probably doesn't even know it's there or remember that it's there, but the guy that found it buries it somewhere else. And because the owner of the field owns everything in that field, the other man then sells everything he has to buy this field. 
And so for this man, there's future treasure to be had. But there's also that little, those little three words there, in his joy. The man has to sell everything. He, he, he pays a high price for future gain. But there's also joy right now because he knows what's coming in the future. And that's what it's like for us. When we store up treasure in heaven, we may not see benefit right now, but we can have joy already, knowing that we will get the benefit later on. The principle is to invest in that which has lasting value. So we still haven't really answered the question of how we store up treasures in heaven. I think one of the main ways is to have a serving and giving attitude toward our possessions. It's in giving from our own possessions that we build up treasure for ourselves. If we, if we realize that our possessions are not our own, that they, anything we have comes down to us from God and are to be used for God, that's when we gradually develop this attitude of giving. And when we develop this attitude of giving, we start to store up treasure in heaven. And then there's this, one last thing out of this passage that comes a little later on. When you think about laying up treasures on earth and laying up treasures in heaven, you quickly realize that you can't do both. You have to choose between them. It's not both and. If you go down to verse 24, it says you can't serve two masters. Did you notice that? You can't serve God and money. This is, this is an either-or proposition. Either you have an attitude that accumulates things on earth, or you have an attitude that accumulates things, yes, but in heaven. I think what God wants us to do is to give them away rather than to store them up. And by giving them away, we store up later on. John Piper says, Possessions on earth are not for accumulating they are for distributing in ways that Christ is honored and our joy in heaven is increased. When we give like that, when we, when we love others like that, when we are self-giving, we show by doing that that Christ is our treasure and that God's word is our treasure and, and that heaven is our treasure. The problem, again, is that this stands in opposition to the world's way of thinking. We have to make a conscious shift in our minds, in our way of thinking, in the world's way of thinking, to, to transform our minds in this way. Here again, we have that tension, that struggle that I talked about before. If you're a Christian, do not be deceived by thinking that this earth is your home. It's not. Heaven is your home. You're a stranger and alien here. You're an ambassador in this world. It's like you're in another country. You're just here for a while. Your citizenship is in heaven. Our world has this materialistic mindset that says, whoever dies with the most toys wins, right? So let me encourage you this morning to, to dig your heels in the sand and to not let the world move you out of it. Be a giver, not a hoarder. Store up treasures for yourself, yes, but store your treasure in the right place. Well, let me 
close by going full circle and by connecting this back to the Magi in Matthew 2. It says that after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Their desire was for Jesus Christ above everything. And they showed that desire by giving of their treasure and by worshiping him. And their treasures consisted of their valuable possessions. These magi were storing up treasures in heaven by giving to Jesus Christ. And so on this New Year's Day, on this day when you are considering your resolutions, I want to challenge you today to consider your treasures. Where are you storing the treasures that God has given to you? Are they on earth or on heaven? And let me put it in the context of the Magi. If I asked you this morning to open your treasures before Jesus today, what would he see? What would he see? One day we will have to give an account of how we did as stewards of the things that God has given us. My prayer is that God will be able to look you in the eyes and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray.